Each and every Sunday we gather to worship, but why do we worship the way that we do? I'm Rebecca Garrett-Pace, and this is The Day After Sunday, a look at the why behind the worship. Good morning, everyone. Happy day after Sunday. Welcome, Phil and Mitchell. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah. Holy Monday. Yes. Holy Monday. Holy like, Monday. Right. Sounds like an exclamation Holy. that Batman would say from the 1950s. Totally. Uh, <laughs> I used to watch all those when I would go over to my grandparents' house. They had them all on. They recorded them all for me on VHS uh-huh. in like the 70s. It was uh, really something. With the like noise sounds of the slaps, like, <laughs> yeah, those are amazing. But not the like um, cartoon one, right, right. The, the like actual, mm-hmm. the live action, the live action one with the with the sound uh, effects. It was awesome. One yeah. of the best scenes from that show was there was one time where Batman took way an exorbitant amount of time to like hook his legs into a rope ladder and like lean down to try to pick up somebody. And then, like, grabbed him, and then, like, you see him dragging him, which the person could have just held on the ladder, right? Um, and he's like, hold it. And then all of a sudden, like, it goes out of scene and comes back, and there's a shark hanging on the person's legs down below, but it's like the what most ridiculous the rubber shark that you could ever imagine. <laughs> like, the special effects were just out of the world. They're so good. Batman. I'm Batman. <laughs> all right. Well, so if you are listening this morning, welcome. Holy Monday. Um, you're. <laughs> You're in for a treat. We have a lot to talk about. It was quite a day yesterday. It's been quite a week, if we're honest. Um, quite a week. And But if you have not had a chance to worship with us, we encourage you to catch up on what we're talking about on this podcast um, by going to our website. And you can worship from yesterday, Palm Sunday, um, as well as in the weeks to come. We hope to see you in person or online. So, yes, it was Palm Sunday. We started out with a bang. And by a bang, we mean dozens of kids and families waving palm branches and... There was a yeah. good amount of chaos in the narthex. Phil, you got a chance to witness that. It was so fun. It was it was a great time. I think there were 22 or 23 kids waving palms, plus some parents and grandparents and uh, processing up and up and down the aisle. It was so fun. It was just the energy was uh, palpable, and they were all gathered out there, and we couldn't hear any announcements you were saying, Mitchell. And so uh, I don't know anything that you said up there. Uh, we couldn't really even hear the hymn out there because the kids were just so excited. And when people were walking in, coming in, like after church had started, we had to like part the 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 reed, see? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and then uh, like they were all like waving their branches at people walking in for worship. It was really fun. They were having a great time. That's awesome. It was also uh, interesting because I, I thought you told them to sit down. No. <laughs> I was like, I don't think this is what, but then they all just sat down. So I was like, well, well, I guess there's a new, uh, a new kind of path here we're taking. And turns out, no, they weren't supposed to sit down in the front, and it was so pure chaos. It's as quite we appropriate. Unpalmed our children. In chap, <laughs> unpalmed our children. This happened in chapter two because, as we've talked about, like kind of the mob mentality, you know, of like yeah, totally. this, this is it. Like one person does it, and everybody just follows suit, and now yeah, we have totally. systemic like. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yep. Sitting sitting well, in front. Of- well, jeez, Phil, I'm not sure I would call the like the kind of deviation from the plan a real sin, but uh it's symbolism, it's a metaphor. Okay. Okay. So yes, and then um Mitchell obviously the the big 
news, right, that you shared at the beginning of your sermon was um, that you are taking a new appointment in July. Wait, um, what? Yeah, I know. If uh, if this is news to you, that means you're probably not on our email list, so you can um, oh, email Mitchell yeah. at email. Boom <laughs> at WRUC. Yeah. Um, Only until June. Only until June. Only yeah. active till June. Oh. But yeah. yeah, it was um, yeah, it was a day, you know, and I think um, I didn't really know how I was gonna address it i it just made sense for it to be read at the beginning of the sermon i guess because otherwise it would have been strange to try to weave that into my sermon and yeah i was um i was surprisingly or unsurprisingly um, kind of emotional when i was talking about it but yeah um but i think like you know now that we've talked about it and that i'll be leaving white rock at the at the beginning of June, you know, I'm hoping that we can kind of still dig in and do really good work up until June. And I expect that to be the case. And, uh, I am really looking forward to June 5th. Yeah. It's going to be a really good day. I, I also got emotional when you said that I was not expecting to either. Um, but yeah. And that's, as you said, that's my first Sunday back. So I'm taking some time after Easter, I'm taking six Sundays off. Um, and my first Sunday back will be your last Sunday here. So yeah. that'll be fun. Gotta where, wear my waterproof where, mascara that day. <laughs> what are you going to do on, on your six weeks off, Rebecca? Um, well, hopefully the, the question is, what am I not going to do? Because <laughs> I'm, as many people who are listening know, I'm still dealing with long COVID um, fatigue, uh, chronic pain, chronic migraines. And so really this is a time for me to try to get healthy. Um, I have, uh, been on the waiting list for a long COVID clinic for many months now, and I'm going to have my first con- consultation with them during my leave. So oh, wow. that will be, yeah, that'll be good. I'm hoping it can just be a, a real time of healing. Um, yeah. uh, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to, uh, make some music. I want to, between resting and napping and reading all that kind of good relaxation stuff, I want to learn mandolin and harmonica and uh, ukulele. Bagpipes. Bagpipes. Not bagpipes, Uh, Phil. Um, We do have a folk band member who plays bagpipes, so I will just throw that out there. I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, a good bagpiper versus a bag, bad bad bagpiper, (laughs) I'm not sure I could tell the difference, so... (laughs) You could just come back and say you've learned the bagpipes, Rebecca, and I wouldn't be. You wouldn't know. Well, you won't be here, so. You guys are going to be really excited on June 5th when we have bagpipes (laughs) playing for y'all. Like at a funeral. That's right. Just in the back. Um, So, okay, there's a lot in your sermon. There's a lot in the worship service. Um, Before we get to the sermon, though, I did want to address um, the, the choir's anthem. Um, and just the wide mm-hmm. variety of music that we had yesterday. So mm-hmm. Keith drew attention to this as well. The the choir did a setting of And Can It Be, which is a, a Wesley text uh, from the 18th century that was reset by a modern composer, still living, um, Dan Forrest. It's an absolutely stunning arrangement. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Every time I listen to it, because we do a lot of uh, what's called ear training in choir. Um, I'm a big believer in you don't just learn music by 
looking at it. You act like music is an auditory art. And so you learn it by listening. And so we listen to recordings of music a lot. Um, and so every time I listen to that, it just gives me goosebumps. Um, and yesterday was no, was no different from that. It was the choir, even though we were down several people, um, just really sang so beautifully. It was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that beautiful. text is incredibly powerful. And I think, it's very rich theologically. I think if you listen on the surface, you might have noticed a little bit of uh, the fancy seminary term is substitutionary atonement, right? Which is Jesus died for me. Jesus took my sin and died for me, mm -hmm. uh, which is true. That is part of Wesley's theology, but it's a small part um, because I think that that text goes a lot deeper and it talks about Jesus becoming truly human and living with us and just his... As, as the anthem says over and over, amazing love right. that God would come to earth for right. me, specifically me, but also for me and the humanity me. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, we, we talk a lot about Palm Sunday being a difficult one energy-wise because we do start so high. Um, and then by the end of the, the day, we're at Holy Week, basically. And so I think that anthem encapsulated that energy it was majestic and beautiful and full but it was also very rich and it draw drew attention to it drawed attention my goodness <laughs> um it drew attention to this notion of yes we are embarking on a very difficult story it's it's challenging it's sad it's painful um but it's grounded in this amazing love yeah well it was a perfect anthem for uh for palm sunday and in the beginning to holy week i thought you know in particular it, it does a good job of like bridging the gap between this chapter and chapter three which we're kind of we kind of have to do rather quickly right because uh well there's a lot that happens between palm sunday and easter obviously yeah. and yeah. um and i i this kind of i thought it spoke really well to the sort of kind of holy persistence is divine like uh rigor that exists like god just refusing to like give up on us mm -hmm. um yeah i thought it was beautiful yeah and we did have such a wide array of music yesterday we had you know the organ and the choir and the handbells we also had a very contemporary hymn with oceans um and then we which had, was like, awesome yeah it was great, mm -hmm. it was great. yeah um and Mitchell, you haven't been on in a few weeks, but Phil and I have had a couple of really robust conversations about how challenging it is for progressive churches to find contemporary music that we feel like does still vibe with our theology. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think bringing that to light and then bringing the last hymn, um, I Want Jesus to Walk With Me, which is yet another stream of music that is a much more like folky Americana, almost country mm -hmm. vibe to it um, that we had the banjo mm -hmm. and we had, you know, guitar and all this kind of stuff. It was so um, good. He knocked the power out. Right. It was so good. We had a power surge or lack thereof, a yeah. power. Hey, so uh, yeah, I walk out literally as I walk across the threshold, I just hear a huge kind of electrical explosion yeah, and one of the transform it like scared me. I thought I was gonna die. Uh, oh gosh! One of the transformers right across the street um, yeah. blew, and yeah. uh, they were up there working on it all day yesterday. 
So if you were live it. streaming with us, that's why the, the stream cut off so abruptly because yep. we lost full power in our building. Yep. It's, it's very windy in Dallas right now. For those who aren't in Dallas, it is a lot of wind. Super windy. Oh, my I know. gosh. When did we become Lubbock? I'm very confused. It's it's yeah, it's ridiculous. And if you're like me, that means your allergies are just giving you fits too. So it was, but so I have to tell you all this. um, One of our congregants I've asked uh, to just get some like rough phone recordings of some of our music, Mm -hmm. because it's really helpful for me um, to hear how it sounds in the space. It's pretty different from how it sounds online coming through the system. Um, It's comparable, but it's still different because the acoustics are so different. And so she was filming from like the fourth row and she caught my face when the power went out and it was just like, what happened? What's going on? What did, uh, and I like, I look up at Dexter and he's looking as clueless as I am. So yeah, this is a very funny moment to catch on video. It's very surprising. Yeah. It's so good. (laughs) But yeah. So Mitchell, now to your, um, to your sermon, I, I want to address (laughs) something that, very much confused me and slightly concerned me in your sermon when you were talking about the the parade story, which I've heard you tell before. Um, I really thought you said, Mitchell Payne Boone, that one of the people on the float, her mom was so large, dot, dot, dot. And I, I texted him. I was like, did he just say that? And I went home and I asked Jeff, I was like, did you by chance listen to Mitchell's sermon? He's like, yeah. And I said, did you hear him say her mom was, and he said, yeah, I did hear that. He said, you know, I just thought that's not what I would say, but hey, he's been there 10 years. He can do what he wants. <laughs> Mitchell, what did you actually say? Mom. Homecoming mom. Right. mum. Homecoming mum. Mum. Okay. God, <laughs> I don't think, I honestly think that if you are from Texas, you knew exactly what I was saying. And if you weren't, if you're not from Texas, then yes, I could see how you easily get to mom. Yeah. Right? Because there is no real, no one uses the word mom. Mom. M-U-M. Yeah. To really, in any sort of like. All of our Brits. Common vernacular. Really concerned. Yeah. Yeah, no, M-U-M, a homecoming mum, is a, uh, I'm not going to say it's predominantly a Texan thing. I think it's uh, a Southern culture thing, but it might be predominantly Texas. Uh, It is a, uh, an artifact, a, it is very strange. It is a, some sort of corsage that doesn't fit on your wrist. You can't just pin it. It is a. Um, well looks, made, hefty, uh, fake floral arrangement good. thing that is has tons of ribbons on it, yeah. and it becomes a uh, a source of um, you know uh, creativity for folks, and they just get bigger and bigger and bigger. So much so that I've seen people have to wear like harnesses and straps to hold their mom up, right. That's what I yeah. was trying to say, that this <laughs> girl's mom was so big that it was yeah. dragging, not that her mother was so big <laughs> that she was dragging. I like big street. moms. And I... But, okay. okay. Um, yes. Yeah. I. It, it looks like 
this was very confusing to me when I moved to Texas, I will just tell you. Um, because yeah, mums are flowers and I was familiar with the yes. flowers. Yes. That's also and true. Mums are flowers. When when I came to Texas and everybody was like, you know, talking about homecoming mums, I was like, oh, that's sweet. You know, maybe they give each other little bouquets of mums. Nope. This is like literally several pounds worth of ribbon and glitter and even like full-size stuffed animals are sometimes sewed yep. onto them. Um, it's ridiculous. So I've strange. seen uh, themed mums. Yeah. So – uh, usually it's the school theme, but I've also seen water bar- water burger moms, and wow. uh, it's a uh, it's just a little it's a little intense. It feels like it's when I was in high school, it was just it was a thing, but it feels like somewhere between two thousand and three and today, it has become really intense. Yes, so, I would yes. agree with that. I know. Anyways, so had to clear that up. If you heard her mom was so large and you got concerned, you're not alone. I felt that as well, but we cleared this up. Thank you, Michael. Uh, um, your mom was thing. so big joke, I was telling you. That's exactly what Rebecca <laughs> was like. I didn't think Mitchell was a your mama joke kind of person. You <laughs> oh did have a lot gosh, of jokes y'all. yesterday. You... A lot of jokes. Just fine. You did jokes. have a lot of jokes. You were uh, one more thing about jokes. homecoming moms. Uh, they would often be uh, accompanied by the uh, garter or the – the male oh, yeah. equivalent of the yeah, mom, yeah. which yeah. would go around your arm. Right. And, and, and so your homecoming date and uh, we would, you would coordinate your, right. your mom garter to be uh, matching. It's weird y'all. Yeah, I know it's weird. It's real weird when you really step back and think about it. It's very odd. Um, but yes, that's what I was trying to say. Got it. And really, rural Texans would understand it, but the kind of people that who would drink did suck, by the way, it was a horrible, <laughs> was totally the kind the of, problem. the kind of people who would drink caffeine free diet Coke, they would definitely have understood. Man, you were ripping them. You, yeah. you agree though, off, Phil, then. that caffeine free diet Coke is like the most country drink ever. I mean, you might've hit it more with a uh, big red. I think yeah. that hits it. Well, I just, I, I remember growing up in like every kind of country home I would be in, there would be a bunch of caffeine free Coke or diet Coke. And I think it's because like it became such a, you know, soda is such a rule kind of drink for a lot of reasons. Right. I mean, they're not, not to make fun of this, but like, obviously like it's cheap, it's available. Soda tends to exist in, you know, poor areas of the country but you know folks realized they couldn't just drink caffeine all day so it was like you know they wanted to have a coke or soda at night and it was just i felt like caffeine free diet coke was always around anyway yeah that and big red it was it was <laughs> pop for me growing up we were a Mr. get out of here i don't even pop, know what that pop country i remember it was, Eli, yeah what was it for you rebecca soda yeah, Coke. Everything is called Coke. Coke. Yeah, everything was Coke. I, I did that with Eli. She was, you, I remember one of the first times we uh, we went out on a date. I can't remember. Driving through the drive through and I was like, hey, what kind of Coke do you want? And she was like, what? And I was like, no. <laughs> you want a Sprite? And she's like, that's not Coke. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. no. <laughs> I feel like that's like a, the first time I was at, or I remember being in Atlanta and they were like, what kind of Coke do you want? And I, was so, yep. I was so confused as a kid. 
Yeah. Well, it makes total sense in Atlanta. Cherry Coke. Cherry Coke, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Everything is Coke in Atlanta. No, it's I. We can. I mean, yeah. Mitchell, having worked with you for many years now, when you started listing off things you don't like, so like the beach parades, sirens blaring, I just started adding to the list in my head. I was like, bad coffee, caffeine-free diet Coke, honeydew melon, cantaloupe. Um, yeah, I no, I like cantaloupe. I don't like honeydew. Got it. Okay. I, I find honeydew to be the trashiest of fruits, right? It's a trash fruit, filler fruit. Yeah, it's a filler fruit for sure. I so have yes. a lot of opinions, and that list is probably quite long, Rebecca, that you're making after yes, I, so many I years noticed of that working as well. with me. Tune in next week for Mitchell's list of things that I just <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have a season ending. Uh, you know, we're gonna next week's gonna be this the end of. Uh, the season for the right. day after Sunday until Rebecca comes back. Yep. Uh, but maybe I will have another podcast where I just talk about all the things I hate. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Phil, do you want to be on that? Yeah, I think we could we could draw that out. You could between now and June fifth for sure. Each each. Week uh, it could be it. a multi series podcast. I have so <laughs> many hot sports opinions about things I hate. Um, but yeah, it was a uh, it was it was good yesterday and yeah. I, it was a hard. It was a hard text, and kind of Palm Sunday was, and I was anxious about this starting, you know, back when we began chapter two. As like, we're going to have to kind of really work to make Palm Sunday fit as the mm-hmm. kind of capstone or the end of chapter two. But I thought we did a good enough job. Like, I think it makes sense that. There's oh, I thought the human quite... condition is actually really evident in the Palm story. If you totally. know how the rest of the week unfolds and I'm yeah. not one to say that we need to have passion Palm Sunday, but um, I think for this sort of chapter, I thought, I thought we did a good job of kind of. Well, and to tie back in the whole power vulnerability aspect of it, mm-hmm. I thought you did a really great job of like, that was putting a bow on this entire chapter and it's been a long chapter, right? Like we've, we've been in this for a while now. <laughs> Um, Phil's on record in multiple spaces over the past couple weeks of saying this has been a really long chapter. Yeah, it has, and it has, and yet I still think it it was really good and important, and I don't think we wasted any of that time. Yeah, I think we made full use of all of it. Yeah, and I think um, so. I wrote the call to worship um, as I almost always do, and and one of the lines that I gave Josh to read, I think, was my attempt to sort of thread the needle throughout this chapter, which was when he said, you know, this is the day when the powerful and the powerless are turned upside down. Uh This is the day, right. When we get to examine, um, here are the ways that we at the center of our own story are turning the tables and we are elevating. We, we have the power to elevate people who deserve to be in power, but we also have the power to elevate people who really don't. And that's the story we're going to see later this week, right. When, Pilot and um, uh, Herod become friends, which I just think is a fascinating little detail in this story. Um, But yeah, I mean, Josh and I kind of set that up in the call to worship saying, you know, this is the day when we wave palms and we celebrate, but then this is also the day when the powerful and powerless start to switch places and we start to see how complex this story really is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is really complex. And I think part of what we try to do during Holy Week is like tease that complexity out, which just really can only be done with multiple opportunities to enter into the story, right? Mm -hmm. It just can't, 
we can't get to Easter morning, like Palm Sunday and then do nothing and then show up on Easter. It just totally uh, renders us unprepared, I think, to really appreciate the good news that Easter is. Which, shameless plug, come to Maundy Thursday service at 7 Central Time. And Good Friday at noon and seven noon and or they're going to be the same service. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think you're exactly right. When also, we try to skip from Palm to to Easter, we miss so much. I didn't even tell you all this, but I just put up the, this morning our first. I'm going to do a, a daily little devotional on each day of Holy Week that just went up live on the pod this morning too. So Holy nice. Monday pod was up, so you can get kind of a a daily reflection holy monday blog or pod it's a pod you're doing a podcast awesome Mm -hmm. it's just like a 10 minute reflection on and really it's out of the gospel mark because mark gives us the best linear explanation of a day-to-day step by step Mm -hmm. and so i went with that i know we've been in luke for the most part but even as you said mitchell right in your sermon right like there's no there's no mention of palms in luke's version which is luke's not the best there are certain aspects of luke that uh i think are really important and as this like story unfolds but it's certainly not not complete you know i think i think mark does a really good job well i mean this is really the whole reason mark was written to talk about Mm -hmm. this last week right Mm -hmm. so um so yeah i uh i really appreciated the call and i thought the liturgy did a good job of getting us to where we need to be not so somber that we have like a mini good friday service on on palm sunday but Uh, not this sort of jumping from one joyous ending of a worship service to another. And, mm-hmm. um, and hopefully folks can respond and, and show up because we didn't – Monday, Thursday is – I mean, I don't even know how many Monday, Thursday sermons I've ever preached <laughs> because we didn't, we didn't really do a lot of that. We took a different approach to Monday, Thursday for a long time. Yeah. Um, which I think was good, but uh, I am looking forward to preaching Monday, Thursday. Yeah. Well, this is yeah, the why so, behind the worship. Why did you take a different approach? We um, we really focus more on a fellowship aspect mm-hmm. um, because for several years, for the first several years that I was here at least, I don't know what happened before that, um, <laughs> we really felt like the uh, the community needed time to be a community that uh-huh. people's lives were just going at a million miles an hour. This was obviously pre-pandemic. Right. Um, and also as we were rebuilding the church, um, we were getting a lot of new people, but the, the people who had been members didn't feel connected to those new people. So we felt mm-hmm. like, you know, what better space than to recreate, you know, our version of a communal meal, totally. just like Jesus right. shared with his friends, um, but not be so heavy handed with it. Uh, and we can talk about this. There are a lot of, speaking of hot takes, there are a lot of takes on, you know, Christians doing Seder meals. We can talk about that. That's a whole, that's a whole other thing. Um, yeah. But our approach was really more simple and I guess less heavy handed was just uh, a fellowship meal for the first several yeah. years that I was there. And then the pandemic hit. And then for this year, you know, I think we've done a good job of responding to what the community needs now, yeah, which is totally. more time to get into this story after we haven't been in it together in a long yeah. time. Yeah. And, and I think what was really great about the community meal uh, was, you know, it just over, maybe overemphasized, but I think appropriately, Jesus's relationship with his disciples. 
which can sometimes be overshadowed by Judas's betrayal or like Jesus's arrest or what's coming next, right? Like um, this idea that Jesus chose to spend his last uh, hours of essentially freedom with his best friends was, I think, important. And it also connected church folks to our community partners. And it was, it was good. It served, it definitely served a purpose. Um, but you're right, Rebecca, I think, Monday, Thursday, and a more traditional, using a more traditional avenue will be good for our, our community to um, have sort of a relationship with the with the text and this this you know important piece of the Holy Week story um, as this kind of watershed moment where the failure of humanity is still on display, and yet Jesus kind of well Jesus rises above all of that. And it's it's really at the meal in which you still see the disciples not fully understanding what's about to happen. You have Judas obviously being called out and 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 kind of acknowledged as the one who's going to betray Jesus. Um, and you have this beautiful still example of of Jesus informing them of what they need to continue to do, which is gather and eat together and bless one another in this holy meal. And yeah, I think it's a really good ending to chapter two. Something that I appreciated um, that I think we as Christians maybe need to do more of is to be a little gentler with the Pharisees and the leaders of the day. And I appreciated what you said, Mitchell, drawing out like the Pharisees weren't just on Jesus's case because they were bad people. They were scared for their people. They did not want attention drawn to them as Rome was ramping up their occupation. They, you know, telling telling Jesus, hey, calm down, get your disciples to shut up. Like <laughs> that was trying to spare their people from danger. Yep. Yeah, I think I think that that's a real accurate way of, of I mean, obviously it's what I used, right? I think it's a... I think it's an accurate portrayal of the Pharisees. We often yeah. have this relationship or see this relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees as like hostile, but it's, I think it's beyond that. And it's, it's really, um, it is a, uh, a deep sort of connection that Jesus has with the Pharisees, right? Jesus essentially would have been a Pharisee, right? Totally. Like, yeah. He wouldn't have been a Sadducee. He wouldn't have been born into this sort of like elite family group. And it wouldn't have been a ruling part of a ruling class. He would have been a, a Pharisee. He probably was taught by Pharisees. He probably spent time yeah. with Pharisees. His, you know, his friends were Pharisees. His, his, you're right. So this idea that Jesus like hated them, I think, is is really a, a bad reading and, and creates a lot of anti-Semitism within the church. Yep. Uh, there was certainly a disagreement that they often had. But you can see that that there are uh, there are moments in the gospel where where a Pharisee or Jesus's relationship with the Pharisees is beyond debate or disagreement. It is a mutual consideration for one another, yeah. and um, and I think that that's what's happening here. You know, they they recognize how badly things can go for Jesus, uh, for his disciples, for themselves, for the community that they love. Uh, in fact, it does go really poorly obviously with Jesus, but it also goes really poorly later, right? Like 
Yeah. Rome essentially like destroys everything that uh, the Pharisees were working to preserve. Right. And so they had a real legitimate fear and, and it was legitimate. It wasn't fabricated. It was, um, you know, it was a real, um, real experience that they're having on the ground whenever Rome was occupying Israel. Yeah. I appreciated that. I think that's a really important. It just paints a fuller picture. Yeah, totally. It, nothing happens in isolation. Or and dualisms, then, right? Like we, we so easily yeah. like to put them in mm-hmm. that, that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Jesus's response is so fascinating, right? Like basically kind of like playing off of this John's notion of a cosmic Christ. Like there is nothing that can stop this train really, right? Like I could make all the disciples shut up, right? And then, uh, and then in their place would be the like most like um, ridiculous <laughs> noises coming out of the rocks, right? Like mm-hmm. there's like Jesus doesn't say, well, then the animals, the donkey will, right? And mm-hmm. Jesus goes immediately to this like this object that has no personality whatsoever, and yeah. and really talks about how like there's nothing that can stop these shouts of. Hosanna, and mm-hmm. um, and I think that that's just a really like beautiful uh, rebuttal to the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. What a gorgeous, yeah. I mean, what a what a gorgeous statement that is too. I've done a lot of reflecting on this. You know the the question, the the ages old question of at what point do different things in creation have a consciousness, right? Yeah. At what point are is each created thing, is each living organism yeah. imbued with some level of consciousness and of knowledge of the divine and the knowledge of the creator? Um, it goes really, pairs really well with last night's conversation. Phil tried to metaphysics everyone to death last night with this notion <laughs> of like, you know, matters not. Uh, neither created nor destroyed and this idea of like everything has particles in it and this idea that like uh, those particles are divine right like yeah. which is just a really uh, mind blowing if you let yourself like go there like if God created everything and the creator's sort of imprint is on everything as we would see with all created art right then the like there is this divine matter or uh makeup in in everything even uh objects that have no sort of how we would classify life there are still uh reactions happening in there and who are we to define what like alive is or what uh what has the capacity to have sort of this divine yearning or divine expression um you know, that's a pretty anthropomorphic uh, definition if we say that just things that can respond have this sort of sure. divine makeup. And so, yeah, I think Jesus really like does us a solid there. If we want to like become mystics, the notion that the rocks would cry out is uh, is a really powerful testament to, to the whole created order as uh, preparing the way for what's mm-hmm. about to happen, which makes me uncomfortable in some ways because i i'm not one to think that like it had to happen that way mm, like sure i don't think jesus was born to die i think jesus was born to love and love 
ultimately ended up on the cross, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. that was not the path that it had to go. Um, but not born, not necessarily born to die on a cross, but like taking yeah, 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 he was yeah. born to like, die. Jesus yeah, wasn't yeah. born to be a sacrifice. That's right. right. Yeah. God it chose to enter in the world to bring about salvation. And, uh, you know, I think there were a lot of different pathways that salvation could have taken, you know, like there could have been an opportunity for people to respond really, really well to Jesus. Unlikely, but possible. Right. That, that when we begin to think about the kingdom, like, or the reign of God, we can like, we actually can experience it. And like, it almost sounds like a realized eschatology. Yeah, totally. So anyway, uh, but, but I do think that like, there is a sort of divine, like the die is almost cast at this point, right? Like Jesus knows what probably entry into Jerusalem means. And there's just nothing that's going to stop this train at this particular point in time. Not even the, faithfulness of his disciples or lack of faith right like nothing's going to stop it and um and so the rocks would shout about it Mm -hmm. one of my favorite authors um is madeline lingle and Mm -hmm. one of the things that she that drew me to her writing ever since i was a kid um but she writes she has written she's passed away now but she wrote fiction as well as nonfiction, and she will say in her talks that some of the people that she believes are closest to divinity are metaphysicists and astrophysicists mm-hmm. because they see the connection between stardust and humanity and, you know, an atom and God, right? The microcosm and the macrocosm are, are so close that they touch, right? Yeah. yeah. I just love that. I think it's great. And, um, that invites us into a really deep uh, wrestling with what happens at the resurrection and like mm-hmm. all that good stuff. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, because I mean, the bodily resurrection is a big trip up for a lot of people. Understandably. So it's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> How right. do you believe something that is, that is unbelievable? unbelievable. Yep. Yeah. Well, friends, thank you so much for joining me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, a lot more to talk about, obviously, but we uh, we will be back next Sunday, as Mitchell or Phil, one of you said, for kind of the, the day after Sunday season finale. We're going to take a little break while I'm gone, and we'll come back with some new content um, in the months to follow. But before that, this coming Monday, we'll have a really good conversation. Buckle up. I bet it will be random. I bet it will be um, a little rails off. I think Dexter's joining us too, right? So it'll be Dexter's the, joining yeah. us too. Yeah. yeah we, we might need to have just like give people a, a, like, a listening warning. Like it could be very long. Could be, yeah. Could be long. Could be I mean, weird. I, could be random. I might have to tag it yeah. as not clean. We'll have to just wait and see. I don't know. <laughs> not safe for work. <laughs> but yes. So. Once again, please do join us um, Thursday, Friday, and then Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, listen to Phil's daily Holy Week podcasts and reach out if you need anything. If you want yep. to share a thought, share a prayer request, um, anything at all. So thanks for listening awesome. and everybody See take care. Happy week. Holy Week. Bye, y'all. The Day After Sunday is a production of White Rock Media Network. Join us next week for another look at the why behind the worship.